welcome to the M3 Bear Essentials Podcast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I host a live broadcast and invite the editors and contributors of Mail Media Mind to present a topic of their choosing. We discuss social issues, entertainment, mental health, sexuality and relationships, or whatever makes the news or makes us mad. Each live recording is about three hours. But in the M3 Bear Essentials podcast, I cut it down to about 90 minutes. And if you would like to view the full recording or ask questions or comment in the live chat during the podcast recording, you can subscribe to M3 on YouTube and get a notification when we go live. You can find links to the YouTube page and other social media platforms at mailmediamind.com. Now, enjoy the show. It is August 21st, 2016. Mail Media Mind is a grassroots organization dedicated to uplifting and unifying the Black Bear community through dialogue, insight, creativity, and knowledge. And every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, we meet to discuss the current events of the past week and to give our unique perspectives on the world. As always, we need your input to make this an interactive form of entertainment, so visit mailmediamind.com. Uh, join our different communities on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and all of that other stuff. My name is Marco Estes, and I'm the entertainment, M3 Entertainment Editor Blogger, and Buffy is Life, and so is American Horror Story. Uh, my name is Derek Anthony Jones, originally from Chicago, lived pretty much all over the Midwest and East Coast at this point. And yeah, just kind of a versatile knowledge of many things. And I'm a chef and a know-it-all. Jeffrey Roman from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, a researcher with Emory University and all-around community advocate um, hmm. dealing with everything from HIV to human rights. Ali sent me this, um, this article about Stranger Things. Um, some of the origins of the story of Stranger Things, which is that there were these sort of secret government programs that they basically alluded to, and it, they said they basically there were three, um, three con- or three actual secret government programs that um, Stranger Things used to base, um, you know, their uh, story on. Well, um, you know, you hear about. And I think you can actually find proof. You hear about the Russians doing it. I believe that Hitler had a whole division that was exploring stuff outside the realm of the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, The truth of the matter is everybody has done it. Everybody, you know, at the end of the day, in, in in this world, everybody wants to leg up. Yeah. You know? And if you can, you know, make a, 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 a psychic um, assassin or something, why, <laughs> why, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. yeah, they were basically looking into things like, um, what was it, encryption or, inter- you know, intercepting messages, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, you know, being able to, you know, mind read for the sake of um, spotting you know, people who are undercover, things like that. So, I mean, it was real. I, I mean, they never had any positive results. But that we know of. That we know of, that right? That we know of. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes for good, um, it makes for good conspiracy theories. I, I think it was pretty cool how they, um, you know, put it in here. So the three projects, I guess I could name them. Um, 
Project Mercura was the one about psychics. Uh, they basically were using all types of chemicals on people, specifically like um, LSD and mm -hmm. other hallucinogens to try to get people to have psychic powers to do all these tests. Um, then there was the one with the isolation tank, which was like the same sort of thing where uh, they did sensory deprivation. Yeah. Try to get people to... Uh, I've read up about that, not about that particular project, but I've read up about that. And the whole basis behind that is, you know, we only use a certain percentage of our brain anyway. And if you lock out all the external um, senses, that the brain will turn inward. Yeah. And there was actually like a... Uh, I, this almost sounds too crazy to even hear, but there was actually a Stargate project that the government tried to do, like, opening wormholes and shit. Which, they literally called it the Stargate Project. Of course. <laughs> Off of, uh, after the, you know, the movie. So, um, I just think that's kind of funny. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, what do you say about, like, the fact that these secret government programs exist and about conspiracy theories in general? Because, I don't know, I, I have the tendency to believe that People are bad at keeping secrets, in general, <laughs> which is why we know about these things now. But yeah, uh, but we don't find out about them until thirty, forty years later. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, there's like, I mean, WikiLeaks. What they did was amazing, just in the sense that they did get a lot of classified documents, and you know, they leaked them everywhere, and a lot of people were really upset about that. But as I tell people, I think you know, all governments have projects and programs that, you know, as they say, they, you know, they don't necessarily make known to the public for various reasons, national security or just whatever. And I mean, and even some of them, the presidents don't even know about because of that possible deniability thing that they yeah. have to be able to have. So, I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I will say, you know, you know, like, you know, we talk about the research and stuff that's been done things like Tuskegee and all that, we need to remember this stuff was all government-funded projects. Exactly. Right. So, I mean... Spraying of the people in San Francisco. Right. Back in the, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't put anything past the government. I, mean, I think that, you know, they ultimately, if they think it's for the greater good in their mindset, and that's a group of small people that are in the room that are, you know, concerned about a lot of other things other than just, you know, what the people need to know. So... Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to do these things. And, yeah, we don't find out about it the 30 or 4. I mean, they're still going through stuff about, you know, um, whether the JFK's death is still under scrutiny about some of the things that has happened. I mean, September 11th even, you know, yeah. what about the government knew and didn't know and whether or not they allowed this to happen. So it would be the catalyst for the war. So it's just right. a whole lot of things that come out. Not that, just the catalyst for the war, but the catalyst for a whole change in lifestyle exactly i mean without 9 11 would you be able to you know have would it be okay to monitor all these people to have armed uh soldiers yeah. in these public places um you know yeah. would, would this be going over as well yeah i mean right. it is the catalyst that started like the iraq war afghanistan war i mean it was um yeah the Patriot you know, Act, I think yeah. I, I know. I, yeah, I, like I said, you all keep focusing on war, but war is such a war is such a small part of it. 
Yeah. You know, we literally had in this country, we literally had a lifestyle change. In this country, yeah. it literally became okay for your government to monitor you. Yeah, to it was put a- cameras up on every fucking corner. Yeah, yeah, we lost civil liberties, was majorly yes. trampled on. I mean, this became a thing. You can uh, now lock a motherfucker up for no reason, under right. a suspicion of something, without any proof whatsoever. You can lock them up and put them away without giving them benefit of trial, without giving them benefit of a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to talk about a little bit, a lot of bit, about Ryan Lockett. And yet, I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it is this again is the personification of white privilege. Yeah. This man went to somebody else's country, fucked up some shit, and lied about it, and ran home. And ran right. home. And I mean, and you know, the lie gets exposed, and now suddenly he's confused about. You know what was happening at the time of the lie. You know the the, the the police robbed me. No, the police didn't rob you. A security guard stopped you and told you you had to pay for the damages that you had just damaged this bathroom. Well, I didn't understand what he was saying. Okay, and we get that. But then someone else who understood both languages became involved in the situation and basically translated for you and told you what was happening. And you paid for it, for it to go away. Well, all I know is there was a gun in my face and they were demanding money. So I just gave them money. And I don't, everything else, I just, I don't know about. Okay, now you're just fucking lying. Right. You know, and then the media turn around and say, these kids go to these places. This motherfucker is 32 years old. (laughs) He is not a motherfucking kid. He ain't been a kid in a long motherfucking time. Yeah. What kid, what kid are you fucking talking about? Then Gabby Douglas gets up there and doesn't put her hand over her heart for the um, national anthem. You know, who's in that damn mind? You know, Mark, that's a whole separate situation, and we can get into that because that is some racist bullshit. Because then the shock putters, the, they won gold and silver. The two white guys, they won gold and silver, did not put their hands over their heart during the national anthem, and all I heard was crickets. Hmm. Imagine Gabby Douglas telling that lie fucking up a bathroom and telling that lie. (laughs) She would come back. She would get off the plane in America and motherfuckers would be waiting for her. She needs to turn them gold medals in. She does not (laughs) represent this country. We knew we shouldn't have sent that pick in any nowhere. I mean, but that's, but everybody sitting here knows that that's the truth. So yeah. And there's a video going around now, Al Roker checking Billy Bush. Hmm. Uh, let me tell you something about Al Roker, America's <laughs> favorite weatherman. I had no idea. Al Roker has always been entertaining. I've hmm. watched Al Roker on and off for the last 25, 30 years. I had no idea Al Roker was gangster. <laughs> <laughs> I fucks with Al Roker now. <laughs> so... All jokes aside, first of all, hey, everybody. Hey. So coming into this, my question is, what are we doing to change any of this stuff that we've talked about? I think this is the plus side to social media. I have seen enough posts and, uh, uh, and things and contributed a few myself where the veil 
it's it seems as though the veil is being pulled from you know from the eyes of the country mm, not really i mean i was sitting at work friday and i saw this newspaper article of a black man who um got 18 years in prison because somebody cut him off on the interstate in a predominantly white area he followed this person and pulled a gun on him and that was it he got 18 years for that mm. now on the surface that seems like uh justice served you know mm. he got 18 years but here's the kicker the person he pulled the gun on was white yeah he didn't shoot this person he didn't physically harm them in no capacity or the other. And it was significant enough that it was in an affluent white neighborhood that they felt the need to put it in the newspaper here in Atlanta. Mm. Now, a nonviolent act was committed, but this man made it to the newspaper to say what? Because if a white person had done that same thing, if anything, they would have said that he was under emotional distress due to being in a traffic uh, altercation with somebody, and that's why he acted irrationally and pulled his gun on this person. True. But because he was black, the as I was reading the article, the article said justice was served. We it's and the judge made the statement that he was obviously a danger to society and this this and this. This man didn't do nothing to nobody. He got cut off, and most of us have road rage. Maybe not to that extreme. But all he did was, because the dude that cut him off smiled at him after he did the shit, he pulled a gun on the man. Mm -hmm. I'm not now, justifying it. Talking about this, no, no, no. And let me be clear. When I was talking about the veil, I was talking about the media. I was talking about us versus the media. I was not talking about the veil has been lifted and racism is over. Okay, good. So my next thought is, what are we doing to truly mitigate this? Because just having an awareness. I mean, true, the first step in any problem is admitting you have one. So we got a problem. Now what are we doing to fix it? There are only a few things in situations like that that you can do. And I think, again, you know, unfortunately, we, we don't get the message. Because it doesn't seem like it does any good, but it does. You have to vote. More to it. Uh, I don't just think it's voting. Well, I think it's, 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 wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me explain that. The judge that sentenced the kid to six months, the guy that raped the girl behind the dumpster. Okay. That judge is voted in and has to be revoted in every four years or six years or whatever the, you know, whatever their terms are. Right. Now. He was he up runs for, unopposed. He uh, he was up. You know what, Xavier? If I can uh -huh. finish my statements, thank you. <laughs> you picked a bad example because this I man runs unopposed. A, I didn't pick a bad example. That was going to be part of my conversation. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. But that's right. no, 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 no. Because you're asking me to vote, but who will vote for it? He don't got nobody to vote against. <laughs> but that's okay. All right. But that's part of my conversation about voting. And, you know, and the second thing is running, which, again, I was getting into. <laughs> Apparently not quick enough for some people. Well, I mean, yes, so, okay, you, you said correct. running. Yes, you are correct. But you are correct. He is running unopposed. 
Right. He's running out of post. Yeah. And let's say we do get somebody else in there. That doesn't mean that this person's going to have our greater interest in this thing. That is he's true. That, it doesn't doesn't mean that. I guess where I'm coming from with this is my thought process is we need more people like us in those positions. We need more people that we have promoted to say, you know, this is a, an, a, an aspiring attorney. Let me talk to him about supporting him to get him to run for something. Um, you know, I look at the differences in how evalu- mental evaluations are done based on whether the clinician that's doing it is black or white. Whereas I may see something one way and I find it a more of a punitive thing and having a greater involvement. Somebody white sees it completely different. God, yes. And it has nothing to do with them being prejudiced or some type of prejudicial uh, motivation. A lot of it is just because of our understanding of the two cultures and being a part of one culture or the other. It is, I don't find another African-American male nearly as threatening as a white woman is going to find an African-American male. So when I start assessing this person for suicidality or homicidality or for potential risk, uh, violence risk factors, I'm not going to scale them nearly as high as a white person is simply because automatically I do not perceive him nearly as dangerous as she does. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm in a position to do that. And that was because some people promoted me to be in that position. Right. Generally speaking, African Americans don't sit in positions that I'm in. Right. Just like there are not a lot of seated judges that are African American. True. Yeah. There are not a lot of senators that are African American. So we can get out there and we can vote, but we're voting for this white person or that white person. <laughs> Which again was going to be the second part of my conversation. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't get there quick enough. I have been taking the long way around. I understand. It's okay. You know, I had a wonderful experience Friday uh, on the New York subway. Uh, a drunk got on and was begging people for a dollar. Give me a dollar, or I'm gonna vote for Trump. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you somehow this him begging on the train morphed into him holding court on this train for about half an hour leading to this great political discussion between all the people riding the train. Oh it God. was amazing. I mean, and nobody got angry at anybody. It was just amazing. And you had this one gay black kid who was not feeling Black Lives Matter at all. And you had this Canadian um, um, Jewish woman who was singing the praises of Donald Trump. Oh, and no. she was like, I can't vote. I can't vote in this country because I'm Canadian. I can't vote. But if I could, I would vote for Trump because <laughs> he's not. A, and, and, I mean, and you could hear the talking points coming right. out of her mouth. You know, he's he's not like he's not a politician and he doesn't have to answer to anybody, you know. But at the same time, she being Jewish was very much, you know, 
black people in this country have had it horrible. You know, as a Jewish woman, I understand that. I get that. And I feel bad every time I turn on the TV and I see another black kid shot down by a police officer. And, you know, it, it, there's all these contradicting things coming yeah. out of her face. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, I, I wish I had been able to tape it. It was fucking magic. Um, it was it just it was you would never expect this conversation to happen in this setting again led by this drunk guy who apparently had just got out of Rikers 24 hours earlier (laughs) give me a dollar I'm gonna vote for Trump I need to use that (laughs) Um, but yeah it again was yes to everything you just said, Malcolm, about the uneducated white men voting for him. But clearly he has the ear of just more than those people. Yeah. You know, fact checks and such don't really seem to matter. They are going for the big the big talking points, the big ideas. He's not like everybody else, you know. He says he's he he, he, he says what he means, except, you know, when he's being sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. Um you know, and, and honestly, a lot of race did not come into the conversation. Again, yeah, when you start off with Mexicans are rapists and murderers and drug dealers, <laughs> and I mean, that's your starting point, and that's okay. Yeah. That says a lot about where you are. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, one of the other things is the um, just the general fear. You know, like I said, he just bought his first. Um, you know, campaign ad. And he only needs to buy the one. And he yeah. only needed to put it in those few places because it's going to get repeated on the news all over. Yeah, pretty you much. Know, and it's going to be on everybody's webpage. <laughs> well, what's funny is I was listening to a podcast that was talking about the two ad buys. I think it was on NPR. And um, they played his first ad buy side by side with Hillary's most recent ad buy. Mm-hmm. And the tone couldn't be completely different. You know, his was like, you know, this is the two Americas. The America under Clinton is letting in all these immigrants. They're going to bomb you. You know, (laughs) it's like it was the the Republican National Convention. Fear for fear. Right. And then it's like under, you know, Trump administration, I'm going to build jobs, blah, blah, blah. There's all these vagaries. Right. And then you get to Clinton's ad and it's very specific policy proposals. (laughs) <laughs> you know, talking right. about like paying for college education, expanding child health care plans, you know, very specific like, you know, tax incentives and things like that. <laughs> Completely different. It was just, it's it pretty amazing. Um, you know, the gap. Uh, and not only that, for whatever reason, I um, actually sat down and listened to one of these speeches that they were talking about on the podcast. Um, believe it or not, I guess um, if you want to listen to every speech Trump ever gave, which I don't know why you want to do that, he has, he has a feed on his website like where you can watch. So I listened to his most recent speech. The reason why was that he actually did try to do this outreach to the black community. Um, he, he actually hired a group of black conservatives to help him write some speeches <laughs> to try to get black voters on his side. Yes. And I listened to the speech that I'm sure some very conservative black dude wrote for him. 
Okay, and it was good. I have to admit, it was actually good. The only problem was he was giving the speech to a room full of white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only way that the speech could have possibly worked is if you had a room full of black people because the speech is written as though he's talking to black people and there's not a single black person in front of you. <laughs> no, because they're scared to go. They get kicked out. They get exactly. Kicked out. So that's the only problem. I'd say it was smart to hire whoever wrote this was a very good writer. Very, you know, he was making some decent points, which I wouldn't want to repeat just because of how disgusting and filthy it makes me to admit that it's good. <laughs> but, well, no, well, the truth is, but the truth is, I mean, I've listened to a couple of his speeches. I've yeah. listened to the whole entire speech. Yeah. And once you remove the racist, once you remove all the isms, <laughs> mm-hmm. once you remove all the isms and the vagueness of what you're actually going to do, right. there are some really good speeches. Right. Now, there isn't a lot of substance left there. No. But it is some really good speeches delivered, you know, delivered with, 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 with some gravitas. Yeah. You know, but again, when I have to start removing isms, <laughs> I can only remove myself at that point. Because right. you're going to treat me bad. This what you're talking about. It does not going to include me. Right. So it could be a great fucking speech, but if it don't include me, I don't want it. <laughs> well, uh, and I think with that too, though, is I mean, it's just like I said. I mean, anybody can get a good speech, right? I mean, anybody. I mean, come right. on. I mean, that's just. I mean, you have people that get paid. You know, you have whole corporations that have been developed just to write speeches. Right. So I mean, that's not a hard thing. And he knows, yes, he has to retool some of his messaging, but at the end of the day. He keeps saying, well, I'm not changing from what I did in the primaries. And in the primaries, he says some really fucked up shit. So I'm <laughs> sorry, just because now you've got somebody to professionally do your speech, and you, but you still are doing the name calling. You still are doing the other things that still are inappropriate. And I still say the fact that you have made statements that, like we were talking about earlier, about mm-hmm. how we're being watched and monitored. If any of us had said any of that, we would be sitting in Guantanamo Bay right now. <laughs> but this man running for president has not been, oh, well, the Secret Service, we pulled him to the side and we had a conversation. That's not what they're going to say to me or you. They're going to be like, welcome to Guantanamo. You'll never see you your family. Right, you threatened the presidential you, candidate, and right. we're going to keep you here until times get better. And then they showed him getting his security briefing for the first time the other day, and he's still saying, they asked him, did he respect and the intelligence that he was getting ready to be given that only is literally given to the president and people that potentially are going to serve in that role so that they can hit the ground running. And he said he didn't even trust the intelligence. So I'm saying at the end of the day, one speech does not swear for me. It has nothing to do with, okay, I'm just on the I hate Donald Trump ban. I love Hillary Clinton ban. At the end of the day, like I said, they both have issues. But at the end of the day for Trump, it's like he's re tooling and he's doing like that thing that people do it's just like i tell people when you're in a bad relationship and you know you're in a fucked up relationship they start (laughs) doing all the right stuff at the last minute because they're trying to save their ass because they realize you are done and that's what he's doing now and even for him to hire he hired he hired amarosa as his (laughs) director of african-american outreach a woman who has made her career 
basically being the thing that every black woman has not ever wanted to represent and has done it publicly, negatively, and everything else. And not saying that that has any bearing on her as a person, but she's not the most intelligent person and she does not have the best relationship with people of color because even and when she, she did this. Michael Clark Duncan. Don't forget that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We, we, can't, we can't forget that. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like you're going and you still are pulling. Like, why would you pull of all the people that you could have pulled that are conservative and black that could have come in and truly made a difference in your campaign? You're going to pull somebody that went on your reality show? Yeah. And that's made who he knows. You pull who you know. I don't know how to say that Trump's president, uh, presidential candidacy uh, poses, uh, I guess, a u- unique, I don't know, look at American politics because I don't think there has been a candidate in our lifetime like him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And how, you know, because I, I firmly believe that Hillary Clinton is probably going to win, at least probably, but that still doesn't mean that he's not threatening in the sense of causing chaos after the election results come in, saying things. Like he's already, you know, hinting at the idea that if he loses Pennsylvania, that it's rigged. And he, he says this over and over in every speech. He says it's a rigged system, you know, and all this bullshit. Um, yeah. So I think you have chosen to be a part of it. So exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's so we got two. Brian Lawson said, "Hey, Brian. Uh, <laughs> essentially, Trump's speech wasn't so much about appealing to black voters, but making white voters more comfortable with him. The campaign <laughs> wants undecided whites to say, hey, he can't be racist. He wants black people to vote for him.' Yeah, yeah. I, I can completely I agree with point. that." And yeah. Legionnaire Onyx, hey Legionnaire, Legionnaire Onyx said, "What better way to show how out of touch white people, how out of touch with people of color you really are, than to hire Omarosa?" <laughs> but again, you and, and again, very true. But you go with with what you know. You know, you hire Omarosa, you approach Nene Leakes because these are the black women that you know. Yeah, I often wonder what it would cost, what my price is to do some <laughs> shit like that. Yeah. What would be what what would be my price to go to a Trump rally and try to talk you all into voting for Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure oh. I have one. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say. No, I would never do that. Yes, a bitch has a price. Yeah, if it's enough zero. It would be a high price. <laughs> but then my other problem would be, you got a habit of not paying, motherfucker. <laughs> you got a habit of not paying people, and you got some. Amen. Money. So, <laughs> can I really get that with you? We posted a video um, Monday, and um, I kind of wanted to, to discuss the... the um, the comments that were on it. I need oh, to. Oh yeah. <laughs> you remember that? The um, I think I call it a hated hypocrisy. We're talking about well, um, the, the conversation we had last week about the article that Mark posted about the barbershop. Yeah. No, no, no. No, the one with the um that they had the picture of the uh the twirling girls where they were oh, talking yeah, about yeah, being yeah, pro-black yeah, yeah, yeah. and anti-gay. Yes. That one. Yeah. Oh yes, those comments were well. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> It was something else. I'm going to see if I can find it. But basically, um, the article originally, I think, was posted in the undercover group by Mark and or by someone. I don't know if Mark posted it. But he was bringing it up. Um, and they were just saying, 
in the article that you should not be able to call yourself pro-black if you also are anti-gay or anti-woman or misogynist. Right. And I guess the top picture in the article was that of the prancing elites. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the comments on it were the point of discussion we were having, which was uh, people weren't trying to take the article seriously because of the picture. Of the picture. Right. Yeah. Let me see if I can um, copy the link, and I'll put it in the um, I'll put it in the chat window. But basically, yeah, it sparked this whole discussion. I don't know. Like some people, I use this uh, picture in it that was um, like of these water fountains. One said gay, one said straight. Basically, drawing this illusion between you know civil rights and human rights campaigns or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean. The comments on that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think I just put it in the chat window. But... Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up now. Okay. We had a few essays yeah. that were... were <laughs> um, it started off with basically because of the description I used. I'll, I'll read that out. Um, you know, I, I describe it, and I ask a couple questions usually after... I don't uh, know why I thought this was about... Um... Because I did read this. I don't know why I thought this was about the barbershop. Uh, I'd be getting into it too many times with people. That's well, that one got a lot of feedback, too, when he posted it. Yeah. So they both did. Yeah. And so the questions were, um, uh, why does discrimination continue within groups fighting against discrimination? Um, how would you start a productive conversation about ending the hypocrisy? Um, and, then, and then I posted a link to it. And one of the commenters was like, you know, discrimination isn't something uh, that recur- um, occurs in the professional world. Mm. Going, I don't, I, I didn't quite understand what he was getting at, but he was just right. saying, saying that um, discrimination. I under, I, I understood what he was getting at. I didn't agree with what he was saying, but I didn't yeah. Understand. Okay. So what was he um, trying to yeah, say? Yeah, explain, Derek, because <laughs> I, I want to hear this one too. <laughs> um. Basically, what he was, I believe, attempting to say, and I can say this because later on he said he was not responsible for what we understood, just what he said. So this is my understanding, Um, that discrimination only occurs in a legal sense, and it cannot occur in an everyday sense. Um, I believe that was the point Mm. trying to make. Okay. Again, I do not agree with that. You can be discriminated against from getting a job. You can be discriminated against from shopping in a store. Um, so the civil rights movement occurred in a professional setting? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, That's almost like again, you. again, again, according to what he wrote. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All opinions matter. Hashtag. All opinions matter. I will actually here. I will just read it. 
Discrimination is something which occurs in the professional world and world of legal rights. Discrimination is someone denying you employment because of who you are. Discrimination is you being denied a promotion that you will rightly qualify for, but you are denied because of who you are. Denying someone their rights is discrimination. Saying black folks discriminate against gay people is like white people saying black people are racist and oppress them. Black people do not have the privilege nor economic power to discriminate or oppress the LGBT community. If anything, the LGBT community has more protections law-wise than African-Americans. Not true. For so many reasons. <laughs> Again, I, I can only read what was written. And I say this in the context <laughs> of, like I said, the civil rights movement, slavery, um, the women's movement, all of those issues did not occur in quote unquote professional environments, even with women's rights. They weren't fighting in the trying in the sense of trying to get jobs and be able to get equal pay at that time. They were fighting just for the ability, like we were, to be able to vote and yes. to be able to count as to citizens. Have their voice heard. Yes. So and I mean it's a it's a, it's the social it's it's, it's taught in social sociology as strat, stratification, which basically deals with social classes and the fact that discrimination and conflict amongst Social classes is kind of the way we build them so that you do have these perceived powers that be that do use discrimination and other things in order to kind of keep the the ups, ups and the downs, downs. And at the end of the day, saying that just because black people are a marginalized people that we can't discriminate, hell, we can discriminate and be racist and all of that stuff, even against white people. We might not have the oppressive power to do certain things to them. But discrimination and oppression do not go hand in hand. Just because I can't oppress you and say, well, I don't like you because you this does not mean I cannot discriminate against you. Those are two separate and distinctly different issues. There was issues. a case recently about the two college students that put the ad in that they wanted roommates, but they wanted to be very clear that they wanted only people of color because they wanted a safe space. <laughs> you know, now whether I agree with them or not, that is discrimination. Well, I mean, and I'm like, I mean, like I said, we use like we talked about institutions like the barbershop, the black church. These are all groups that um, if you look at it from an economic standpoint, they do have the economics and the ability to discriminate against the group because that's those the, all these mechanisms make money, especially the black church. But you have churches here that make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I'm not church bashing at the end of the day. Love what I you am. do. Do what you do. OK. In order to operate. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like we said, a lot of those people that like, uh, we talk about these conservative people that are even supporting Trump, he's pulling people from some of these institutions and within our own communities that traditionally have been a of ourselves because even in the south especially we have the concept of old and new money and that is a very big thing that has always been saying and then the whole thing even back to the day of the paper bag test you know if you couldn't pass mm -hmm. the paper bag test there were certain places come in the door. exactly so these are traditionally historical things that we can look back on and we can say oh well well black people even then were oppressed group and they were a marginalized group but they were still discriminating within their own group and then there mm -hmm. are not protections that protect uh, race is a guaranteed protection now in this country gender uh, i mean gender is also but sexual orientation is still not even with the passing of the marriage act the hate crime statute Federally, it's the only thing that protects against sexual orientation. You still have laws where based on sexual orientation, you can be denied housing, you can be denied yeah. jobs, you can be denied. If, if a hate crime occurs against you, on, and if it's not taken up by the federal level, there's an acceleration on the, anything that gets sentenced. Meaning you're going to get extra time if it becomes a federal crime. That does not happen on state levels. 
So for somebody to say, oh, well, because I'm poor, I'm black or whatever does not mean I can't discriminate. Like I said, it, that's not reality and that's not realistic. Just right. because I can't control certain aspects of you, like we talked about the thing about that happened in New York. I mean, in, in Detroit, the guy walked outside in the pants and this guy pulls out a gun on him. That was discrimination. Did he have anything to oppress him with other than a damn gun? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say there was also a, a, a case of a transgender woman whose uh, stepfather just killed her. I would say that's discrimination. It is. <laughs> Taking someone's life. Like, wait, where, what the fuck are you talking about? And that even exists within the mm-hmm. LGBTQ, all those numbers that we like to put together. But at the end of the day, like I said, they put us all together like some big alphabet happy soup. But that's not the case. And we need to stop. A trans, a trans performer, because I think I mentioned this a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, the trans performer that was kicked out of uh, Boots and Saddles because mm-hmm. she made the uh, cis woman uncomfortable in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in in a gay space, right? right. You know, um, yeah. That was, so. Yeah, I don't discrimination there. Yes, I don't really understand the distinction he's trying to make. I understand the underlying impulse to, to have that, but I, I I think I was having the conversation with Mark in the sense that um, there are just some people who. I don't know, when they their alliances are questioned, I guess, when you talk about being pro-black or pro-gay, they're always going to be pro-black first. <laughs> That's the way you put it. And so he's just like, I don't know, form this, some rationality that just doesn't, you know, check at all if you... I But you know what? I'm going to say this. I understand that. I get that. Yeah. Because I am always... I, I do believe I'm always going to be black before I'm gay because yeah. you because that's the first thing you see and that's yeah. what you're going to approach me from right. you know you're going to approach me from the I'm I'm a big black man before you get into the I'm a big black gay man but like you know, unless I'm wearing my tutu and heels you have no idea well and I'm glad you said that because it's just like you said when Mark said last week that basically you know like you said you walk out of a gay club, you're going to get bashed regardless of, you know, whatever, whatever and you made the point. Are you being six, five or, or whatever and being this big black man, the chances of you being bashed versus one of those guys that are in the prancing elite who's running around, like you said, in a tutu and some heels being bashed are completely different. And like we've talked a lot about on this show about um, even in our own communities, bottom shaming, um, men that have these ideals, especially in our culture around hyper-masculinity and anything that goes against that, then we do discriminate against that. And at the end of the day, it's not to say right, wrong, or whatever, but to say it does not exist, I think it's something that, yeah, at the end of the day, like we talked about before, if we're going to start looking at solutions, and Xavier said it best earlier, we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And until we acknowledge the problem, then we can't get to the solution. And if we keep saying, like you said, at the end of the day, I tell people, I wear a lot of labels. I'm a, I'm a black man. I'm a man first because even as a man, you get discriminated against in this country in some places. Then I'm a black man. Then I'm a gay black man. And if me, I also happen to be a gay black man that is HIV positive. So it goes to so many different levels of discrimination that I could experience on so many different levels. And then I have. And at the end of the day, I know how to advocate for my rights. I know how to shut a motherfucker down and say, you're not going to make me feel like that. But that's not everybody. So we right. as being people that say we are the ones that are out here advocating for our communities and that we are trying to make a difference. We need to start stop having these surface conversations and get to the real bottom of the stuff. And a lot of those comments, it got very <clears throat> catty. 
It got very <laughs> silly. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I stopped reading it because at the end of the day, it just kind of cre- to me created a cycle and cre- continued the cycle that at the end of the day, it's not going to solve the fucking problem. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get through many of them myself. I mean, I, I just kind of get chuckled and kind of kept scrolling. I was like, <sighs> there was a lot of um, picture memes. Yes. <laughs> that was what I was talking about, because those were yeah. shady. <laughs> you know what? I, we live in a world of memes now. We live in a world where sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> okay? And now you can actually do it. Yeah, yeah, I like you know, it. It's not just relegated to Bugs Bunny anymore. Where he just <laughs> pull up a sign out of nowhere. Now you can actually do it yourself. So <laughs> you and the picture memes and the picture meme hate poo on you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a matter of hating them, but like you said, I mean, you know, like I mean, you know, so many of them, like they say, they are meant to be funny and entertaining, and not to say that because some of the issues, yeah, I mean, we can get you know a little bit too heavy in them and then and getting too heavy in them we don't deal with them so we have to lighten them up and yeah. lighten up the, the, the conversation around it but at the end of the day at some points also we just have to realize like you know I said everything is not funny and some things are not meant to be taken to these extremes that we take them and that's sometimes why we're not taken seriously because right. I, like I said because people look at us and like I said as a whole as a black people the reasons I'm reasons why we are discriminated against and I know I lived in North Carolina I had a white girl on my first day of work, tell me she did not do burnt wieners. This woman didn't know me from the man in the mole. <laughs> Meaning she, she didn't do burnt wieners. Oh. Meaning she didn't sleep with black men. And I said, well, I don't do pink salmon, so we okay. She didn't catch the read, <laughs> but at the end of the day, what I decided to do instead of getting combative with her, because my partner was a Marine, and he was like, "I, you need to go in there and whoop her ass. And I was like, <laughs> no. I said, we're in North Carolina. One, one that ain't gonna over end well for me. From the, from the, <laughs> but oh, at the end of the day, what I did was I challenged her and what her belief systems were because I asked her, I said, why would you say something like that to me, not knowing me? And she had a lot of stereotypes and things that had been taught to her generationally. Black people didn't wash their hair. We did something special to soul food to make it soul food. And I felt the dialogue was better <laughs> to have in a non-combative setting. And at the end of the and day, you, you educated her. Exactly, because <laughs> yeah. I challenged what she had been taught. And until we start doing that, we can be mad all day long. I mean, Black Lives Matter, the protesting, it all has its place. But at the end of the day, until we start having some real serious one-on-one conversations, because even with these town hall meetings, they're, mm. they're like, oh, well, we're going to get all these black people in the room and we're going to talk about the issues that we already know are there. And then the white people, like you said, Donald Trump is trying to make black people feel less guilty about some of what's happening in the media and social yeah. media. By Now we're going to talk about the blacks and them being oppressed. At the end of the day, until we can get groups of us in the room that have the ability and are willing to sit down and have proactive conversations and not this surface stuff and really deal with, okay, why are we having this? Why are we feeling this way? Why are the differences this way? Why do you feel this way? And let people be, feel safe in those spaces to express what they're feeling. Then we're going to continue to have these problems, but we don't create these safe environments that we can have real proactive conversation with people that can actually make change. And I'm not talking about politicians. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about actors. I'm talking about the community because at the end of the day, the one thing I tell people I love about Barack, Barack was a community organizer before he was anything. Before he was a senator, yeah. before he was a whatever you – he came out of Yale. I mean, excuse me, Princeton. Uh, law review, all that stuff. He went and became a community organizer in the streets of Chicago. 
that says a lot about who he is as a character, and that's why I tell people he didn't have to run for president. He really wanted to help the people. Now, whether or not he was able to fully do that is something completely different. But yeah. when you are willing to go into communities, stand with them, fight with them, you know, sit there, listen to them cry, and really go through what they're going through, that's when you care about making change. Not when you can get on fucking CNN and talk about it just for everybody to hear it. The greatest weapon formed against mankind is ignorance. Mm-hmm. And it is what has allowed stuff like this to go on for so long. It's why it's going to continue to go on because, unfortunately, the vast majority of people are extremely ignorant. <laughs> um, and it kind of comes out in some of the stuff that they say if you just take a step back and look at it and read it or listen to what they're saying. And when I say ignorant, it's meaning, and I mean by that, it's a lack of fundamental. You mean lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. It's a lack of fundamental understanding of something. So, yeah. mankind, and just in a human nature standpoint, we automatically discriminate against the things that we don't know or the things that we don't understand. Uh-huh. If I'm a straight man and I've never dealt with a gay man and I don't understand the premise of being a gay man, then I'm likely to discriminate against. Because I don't understand them anyway. You know, why would you be attracted to another man? There's nothing attractive about another man. That's because my level of understanding is limited to what it is. It takes a certain level of intellectual development, uh, emotional and social development and constructionism in order to be able to have a conversation about something as complex as the discrimination amongst groups and subgroups. Because to say that Discrimination is predicated to one level or the next. So to say that it only can be found when one uh, one group has power over another kind of does not embody all of what discrimination can do. Because even amongst the poor and disenfranchised, there are levels to that. You know, there are mm-hmm. within groups, within groups constantly. And as a result of that, you have a division of what resources, what supports, how I'm going to deal with you, how I'm going to act and react to you in different ways. So, yeah, you can be black and you can be discriminated against for just being black. Somebody can say, no, I don't want you to be in my, my establishment because you're black or I feel like this is a poor neighborhood or not a great neighborhood because most of the occupants of this neighborhood are uh, African-American or some dark colored people. And I feel like this is a better neighborhood because these people are mostly white. And so they get more resources because they're going to, they have the support from things in place to do the right things with these resources. You people over there, y'all are going to use it for cocaine. I'm not oppressing you. I'm not oppressing you. I'm making the decision to allocate funding and allocate support in one direction or the other, because I have a choice in doing that. I may be a grant writer or something. And I feel like that the money would be best spent over here. That's not oppression, but it is discrimination. It's definitely discriminatory behavior. People have discrimination. There's discrimination amongst the concept of if a woman says you've raped her and a woman versus a male, if a woman says that this man raped her, automatically the court of public opinion and most legal courts are with or without physical evidence are going to sway towards believing what this woman said. Because you don't want to be in a position of blaming the victim. 
it still creates a form of discrimination. So this discrimination, it happens. Now, why it happens is because most of us, and this is an American principle, we get our thoughts in a process and we start thinking in a process and we continuously generate our thoughts in that process. And even with the introduction of new information, even with the onset of better information, we choose not to change our way of thinking. We choose to continue to think the way we think and say, you know, you don't go with what I'm thinking, so I'm not going to include you in my thought path. Um, if you look at Donald Trump, he's the same way. Even with the introduction of the fact that, man, you are talking crazy. The shit you say does not play out in the real world. He is in a thought process of, but this is what I'm thinking. This is American. I'm free to be who I want to be and do what I want to do and think what I want to think. So I'm going to do that. So even though I know what I'm thinking is completely erroneous, at least that's what you're telling me, I don't have to believe. And so therefore, what I believe is the truth. And the, the, it's encouraged because they're able to find all you need is one person to agree with you. And in regards to why that person agrees with you. They agree with you because they think the same way. They agree with you because they want to be in your good graces for some other uh, equitable gain. But they agree with you, and that's all you need. Now that thought process is further generated to say, no, I can back this up, I can support this, because you believe it. But now when you challenge that way of thinking, and you truly can come up with a an argument that can challenge it, which is one of the things that people don't like about that people did not like about Obama, was that Obama could take a social norm, no matter what it was, and he could rip it to shreds in the most eloquent ways, and people hate that about him. And that's what they say they don't understand about his way of speaking, because it's like you're telling me that every damn thing I believe about myself and the world around me isn't true, and you're saying that this is the reason why it's not true. How am I supposed to deal with that? Reading those comments and everything and pulling all that together, not just with this one, but also with the one with the barbershop, it's because these people truly haven't really taken a moment to step back and think about this outside of themselves. They probably haven't felt themselves being discriminated against for any one reason or the other. And so therefore, their perception of the world, because all of us are the accumulation of our own lived experiences, introspection and, and the ability to gain knowledge from a third-party person is very difficult for most people so therefore they only see this thing from their own position and that's it uh this thing about um this uh religious leader whose house got uh destroyed in the flooding but yes i heard about him um well basically it's this guy in louisiana who's often preaching about how karma yeah, <laughs> how you know natural disasters um, are hitting us because of the sin of gay marriage and other liberal, you know, the loosening of traditional values. Oh, you mean Pat Robinson? <laughs> <laughs> it was not Pat Robinson. But I'm sure I know. I'm, look, I'm being funny. Feet. I'm sure he probably studied at the feet of Pat Robinson. <laughs> yeah, let me see if I can find it. But um, yes, and then his house motherfucking flooded away. Yeah. He didn't have. He didn't have an ark built. In case <laughs> right. You're right. God didn't come to him and say, you know what? I'm going to flood this motherfucker. You may need to get a boat. <laughs> you need to make sure you get uh, a, a, a one man and one woman from your congregation, at least a couple of them, so y'all can repopulate the earth. Yes. Oh but make sure they're good Christians. Right. They got to be good Christians, though. They got to be good Christians. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I was, don't. Go ahead. Um, Tony Perkins is his name. The guy. Oh, yeah. 
head of the um, Family Research Council. Ugh. Oh, God. Notice how all these groups have family in the name <laughs> of them, or, you know, it's family, but only the family that we actually want. Like when your kid comes up gay, then that motherfucker got to be kicked out the goddamn family. No, no, no. Aren't they the church that was doing the the programming, the reprogramming? Like if you were gay, they had a camp. Mm. I remember them. Yeah. And it was supposed to be getting the gay out you. Yeah, pretty gay, right? There was a special on HBO many, many, many years ago about that. They did a special. It was four different stories about gay men and one of them was about this one guy this black guy who went through that whole pray the gay away thing and he talked about all these men living in this house together where there was you know it was full of prayer and you couldn't go anywhere without somebody else you know because they were supposed to be moral support and all i could think was you put all these gay men in the house together they just fucking this is kind of counterproductive to what the fuck you're looking for yeah, I mean, a lot of those programs, I mean, it's been proven that they are more harmful than helpful, one. Of course. And um, a lot of people that have come out of those programs, some of their suicide rates are a lot higher than normal community as a whole. And um, uh, Lisa Wu did a thing for OWN where she went to one of those camps and she talked to people that were currently there and people that had left. And a lot of them talked about how it had impacted their lives, mostly in negative ways. I mean, I think they had one guy who said he felt like it had been a good process, but he did not feel like it had changed anything about him. And it was only because he kind of got more in touch with his spirituality and some things like that, and that was good. But, um, you know... um, I talked to a guy once who had prayed his gay away, Hmm. you know. And at the end of the day, I asked him, you know, I asked him if he was happy, and he was like, yeah. I said, okay, and you're happy, you're happy with your life and everything? He said, yeah, and I said, "Are you ha-? and you're happy with your life because your loved ones and everything are happy? And he was like, yeah, and I was like, okay, so your personal happiness, just you sitting in a room, you know, you're happy, and all he could keep going back to is he was happy because other motherfuckers was happy. Well, that ain't happy. Mm, yeah. You know? That that ain't that ain't happy. Yeah. Cause fuck you. This is my life. <laughs> there is no fucking rehearsal. Yeah. I got I'm, a bag of dicks. You need to eat one. Yeah, I was gonna read some of the quotes that this guy's had. Uh, Tony Perkins. Um, okay, so he, this was on the FRC website. I guess the Family Research Council. He said, um, while activists like to claim that pedophilia is completely distinct from the orientation of homosexuality, evidence shows that there is a uh, disproportionate overlap between the two. Pedophilia is a homosexual problem. That's what he, you know, this is one of his quotes. <laughs> Just saying. I'll wait till you finish. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another thing he said. Um, he said, the most important thing a, a Christian can offer a homosexual is hope. Hope that they can be delivered from their sins, just like the sin of anyone else's sins can be forgiven and their life can be transformed. That was the thing I guess you were getting on with the um, being delivered from homosexuality. I mean, this shit is is real. <laughs> like, this is a, a caricature oh, of a person. This is an actual quote on a website that people are yeah. donating money to. Yeah. yeah. It's Well, I mean, one, that first quote is completely incorrect. 
because all data that has been done on pedophilia has never had any correlations between uh, same-sex um, people that were in same-sex relationships or identified as gay um, or whatever. Now, there has been some things about people that maybe did not identify and maybe have been abusers, but it was never like, I mean, if you, if you can go through, I mean, and you can pull up a Sex Offenders Act um, list for any state. Most of these people are, do not look or do they identify. And I know looking is a whole other thing. We don't like to get into that as far as judgment. But in the end of the day, these people do not identify as um, homosexual. And a lot of them are pillars of their communities. They're married. They have, quote, unquote, families in the traditional sense of the way that they talk about it. And, I mean, the American Psychiatric Association, along with a number of other groups, have debunked that myth years ago for, for him to say that and I mean yeah. where I want to see where he got his data from because at the end of the day the data is what drives if you're going to make an opinion you if you're going to make a statement like that you need to have data to support it period right. he got it from yeah. Jesus so first <laughs> I want to say I want to say this first of all okay. I have a problem I have and I have always had a problem with the national sex offender registry because mm -hmm. it's not specific you just a sex offender. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's too many things you can get on that list for. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. you you got drunk and you was naked. You got drunk and woke up half naked or with your dick hanging out in front of a grammar school, and you wind up on that list. Sex now you didn't actually. You, you went outside to pee. You was fucked up and you went outside to pee and passed out. You wasn't bothering the children or anything, but you wound up on this sex offender. You're a sex offender now. You know, so it's just it's too many. It's 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 too ambiguous, too large. You know. Second of all, I want to talk about my experience as a as a fourteen, fifteen year old. My high school was rocking. Let me tell you, it was all kinds of motherfucking sex had. But the most sex that was being had was between students and teachers, straight yeah. students and teachers. Because there was a few teachers in my school that was fucking and fucking hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. but this was not hetero, this was not homosexual sex. We had yeah. a couple of teachers that were gay and we knew they were gay. And because they were gay, they were extra special careful that they mm -hmm. were never put in a position like that. But then, you know, yeah. I had an English teacher who called my motherfucking house and somehow convinced my mother that I needed to go to her house on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> And all yeah. of my spidey sisters were screaming, no, bitch, no. If you go over there, you're not going to be the same person as when you left. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but she liked them. She liked them young, big, and chunky. And I was all those things. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, yeah, no. <laughs> um, so everything he said, I can't really, you know, I, yeah. Again, let me reach into my bag of dicks. Um, yeah. Yeah, Tony Perkins is one of those. It, every time I ever see him um, on air talking about something, it just makes my skin crawl a little and bit. And I'm going to tell you, because I've seen Tony Perkins somewhere yeah. in his house. So there's a secret compartment in a closet somewhere <laughs> under three floorboards where he keeps his gay porn. <laughs> and I'm betting it's some L, some, some some BDSM shit. <laughs> I'm I just saying. I, money I don't doubt it. That I'm going to come back. We don't know this for sure, but we know there's a high probability. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least. 
Oh, God. There's a ball gag and a video in that motherfucker somewhere. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, for you to be that homophobic, yeah, there's... Well, I mean, and that's the thing, I mean, like I tell people, for me, I mean, you know, growing up in the black church and experiencing a large amount of exterior homophobia, but internally, I mean, you know, I I had been hit on by preachers and deacons and people that were in these positions of authority that looked at me and it was more of a praying thing and and, and in the sense of and they weren't I mean part of it might have been yeah they could have been undercover or whatever but these were men that identified as straight that were coming out to me just because they felt like I was young and vulnerable because I was a quiet little shy kid and those are the ones that usually pedophiles go after mm-hmm. and it not it, and it's happened more than once in more than one situation and at the end of the day you know like I said even somebody coming out at 15 and not understanding that men that were coming at me that were 23, 24, 25, that were not coming at me because, oh, well, it was just a natural attraction. But there was something going on there with, like you said, they were looking at me as easy prey, not necessarily looking at me as somebody that, I mean, the sexual interest might have been there, but it wasn't the same as if I was looking at somebody that was one of my peers. So that is something that, yeah, I had to deal with and even having an experience with. Um, you know, an older cousin and being molested. To this day, he still identifies as a heterosexual male. But some of the stuff that uh, I know I personally experienced with him, I mean, I look at him and I and I be like, and it's like it, it, he, I, I've, I've tried to broker a conversation because I felt like I needed some closure. But at the end of the day, I realized I had to get my own closure because getting he him to talk about it. it, he wasn't going to. And now he has children of his own. He's married and he's living his whole life. But I'm the one that gets exercised by the family because I'm gay and I'm open. So, no, I mean, and then even we look at the Catholic Church and not to bash any one organization, but all of those priests. No, we can bash all of them. Well, no, I, I mean, we're not church. I'm not going to church bash. But I'm just saying, like, the biggest incident of pedophilia. I mean, that has ever happened, like, on a mass level, has always been in the church. And what did they do? They hide, they hid it for years. They yeah. moved these men around. They put them in other areas. They did all of this for these men that were supposedly already, quote, unquote, saved and had taken this vow of celibacy. And then in the sense of that, I identified from the standpoint, as they were concerned, as heterosexuals. And a lot came out of that. And that's why they lost all that money when they got sued or whatever, yeah. whatever, because they created an environment for that. But it also happens in our church. I mean, you know, we've heard, I mean, well, what happened here with Newberth and Eddie Long and a lot yeah. of other things. And I mean, these are men that have women and marry, they're married and they're these pillars of our communities. But it comes out that they do these things. And it's like with the Bill Cosby stuff, we're like, we don't talk about that. But we want to say something like, well, yeah, pedophilia is something that is a homosexual affliction. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's some that's some messed up shit. That's and if anybody wants more information, not even information, if you just want a really good story about pedophilia in the Christian church, go see Doubt. That's oh, all. Yeah. Amen. That movie is fucking wonderful. Yeah, it is. Anything with Viola Davis, Davis is fucking. Wonderful. Anything with Viola Davis is wonderful. <laughs> and she point. only was only she was only on 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 the motherfucking screen for five and a half minutes. Yeah, but, but that, was, still that, was, that was the best scene in the movie for sure. Jesus Christ, it was. But it also, but you know what? It also it talks a lot about her her scene. Talks a lot about what we talk about. Mm. You know, she knew her son was gay. She knew this could have happened. At the end of the day, if I bring this up, who's going to pay for it? Right. Who's going to come out as the villain? Because it's not going to be the it's, it's it's not going to be the minister. 
you know, it's going to be my kid that gets mm-hmm. drunk through the motherfucking mud. Yeah. You know, whose life is going to be fucked up behind this? Why would I put him through that? <laughs> yes, yes, to everything you said, Jeffrey, yes. And, <laughs> and, and, and if you don't want to, if you don't run a religious bash, that's okay. You can yeah, sit I, next look, to me. Right. I'll handle that part for you. I, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> Several years ago, we had this brand new pastor at my parents' church. And before we knew it, um, we caught him having a very lengthy sexual relationship with a minor, a minor age cousin of mine. And, you know, she, you know, this is a heterosexual relationship. She was a female. And the, the, the text messages that the two of them explain, ex, uh, exchange were so explicit that I remember when we was reading them, I kind of had to go cover up because it was like, man, that was... Wow. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord Jesus. <laughs> you have to pull out a fan while you were reading it. Right, right. The church fan. You know, got me in the middle of all of these men. And I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. And I was like, whoo, shit. All right. <laughs> so, so the problem that came up, and it damn near divided my family, mm. was how to handle it. I wanted to go to the authorities and deal with it like that, of course. Mm-hmm. But the correct way. Right. But other people in the church and in my family was like, no, this is a, this is we're not gonna handle this in a secular setting. You know, we're gonna do this the way the Bible say do it. And oh I, God. The Bible says stoning. Yeah. Um, what does the Bible say about this? Stoning. Because <laughs> he was married. Yeah. So the Bible okay. was stoning. Yeah, <laughs> adultery is stonable. <laughs> but I said, but wait a minute, that that, that don't make sense. Because then we all got to go to jail. Um, <laughs> all of us going. I get the point though. But so you know, so my thing was, I, I knew. So we had a church meeting. We had a meeting at church, and I said, okay, I know half of you all work either at the state hospital with me, or you work in some other healthcare facility, or you have a job that in some capacity or another makes you a first responder. So you have to report anything. Yeah, you have an obligation. Legally. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> you lose your job. And, you know, I knew that when I did this, I knew when I stood up and made this, this announcement that everybody was going to turn against me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I accepted that because I'm like, y'all will get over it when the smoke clears. Yeah. Um, because even though I'm sitting in United such and such such and such, I am still holding a nine millimeter underneath this suit. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Um, so I was like, okay. So I, and they did. Like my family called me. They were going off. They were angry. But it kind of made me think to myself: peer pressure is a mother. Because if I was the type of person that would crumble under that much peer pressure, then this situation would never have ended. But like I explained to you know some of my family members, I said, y'all got to think, this man went to this church three months before this shit went down. That means he has done this before. Yes! Mm-hmm. Because he knew how to do it, he knew, and he moved quick. He didn't even have time to know everybody. He knew exactly who and what he wanted and how to do it. He knew exactly who to home in on. Right, so that means he's practiced this, he's done mm-hmm. this before. And if we don't put a stop to it, we've been looking just like y'all mentioned with the Catholic Church. Yeah, and that's the thing I would. More importantly, Hmm. what is the actual difference between him doing this 
over a long term period of time and him grabbing that girl off the street in a van I mean it's still considered rape it's because, wrong she can't, because she can't consent right. because she's too young to consent so it's still considered rape either way why is this okay because he's a minister it was, that was how I had to try to framework it for them to get them to understand that this is a problem. Yeah, it was wrong either way. Well, and a lot of times, with when you deal with molestation cases, they look at it even though that the consent comes under a lot of pressure and duress because at some point they, like you said, they were exchanging text messages and they were so they although say she's not able to consent, they look at that differently as somebody that is pulled off the street and forcibly just forced. So they look at them two different ways, although they are the same crime. Yeah. I was at a barbecue last night and um, I was talking to someone because, you know, that's what I do. I go places, I talk to people. <laughs> and we were talking about, like, first crushes as kids, you know, because the woman said she came, she was cleaning it out her, her parents' house, and she came across this note she wrote to this guy when she was 15 years old, you know, and how much she, she met him like three times or something like that, and how much she loved him, and she had looked into, you know, she had looked at him and saw into his soul and saw that they were soulmates and all this and that and the other, and there's a reason why 15-year-olds aren't allowed to make these decisions, you know, because... This man is clearly telling you everything. I didn't read the text messages. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he told her everything that she needed to hear in order to get her to that place. Because she was, how old was she? 15? He said 15. 15, yeah. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. I read his lips. Both. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a reason why a 15-year-old can't give consent because that's where your head is and there's nothing wrong with that when you're dealing with another 15 year old or a 16 year old there is a problem when you're dealing with a 30 plus year old man on that bullshit yeah well and that's all like you say where people that do that it's a grooming thing because yeah. they understand that and i mean it's just like so you you're know. not yeah so you're not pulling them off the street you're not pulling them off the street and forcing them but you are exuding an influence over them and you're and exerting a them. position of power because as they tell people rape is not a sexual crime rape is a power, it's, crime. It's a power crime and so is a lot of molestation because it does deal with the fact that you know we are taught that you know even though yeah i might look at a grown man and think oh he's hot he's whatever 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 and like you said I don't understand from my lack of maturity and the fact that I'm still growing that this is not right and not a good thing, but they do. So this is when it goes to say, okay, as an adult, I have to say, okay, even though, yeah, this opportunity or this person is presenting themselves to me, especially a young person, I need to not do this. And I also need to maybe sit them down and explain to them why this is not appropriate versus some people it just feels like, Oh well, I'm just gonna do it because I do it because like I used to tell people like when I hit a certain age, I wouldn't even deal with somebody that was 18, and they were just like, well, they're legal and whatever, whatever. And I said just because they're legal and they're 18 to me doesn't mean mm -mm. shit because they still don't know things 
mm. or have not experienced life in the way that I have. So I would feel like a fucking predator. Mm-hmm. So why would I go after somebody just because, oh, well, now he's legal? And these were people that were, you know, 45 plus. They were saying that, oh, well, yeah, he's legal, so I'll just sleep with him anyway now because he's 18 and he's fine and he's young. But at the end of the day, and it happens a lot in our community as well as other communities. Yeah. But for me, it's just like I was looked at like something was wrong with me because I said – there's something wrong with that. Just because a person does even enter into the age of consent, there's things that they do not know. And at the end of the day, I would be taking advantage of them. And I know I'm skewed because I raised my baby brother who's nine years younger than me. And I tell people a lot of times when I have these young guys coming at me now, I said, my baby brother is older than you and I raised him. I would feel like I was sleeping with my fucking child. That's mm-hmm. not getting ready to happen. Because I understand in what lack of what he doesn't know, even at his age, and we're only nine years apart, there are things that, I mean, I can run circles around you with and manipulate you in so many ways that you might think you got game that you don't realize. But, I mean, a lot of people, they just, we get into the, we don't get into those deeper aspects. And like but here's the other thing. Exploring, you know, where, where can I exude? Because when I'm in a position of power, there are certain things I cannot do and certain things that I just should not do because it's not right. And for some people, their morals just don't align with that. And that's something completely different in a whole other conversation. Hmm. But here's the other thing. You're having, you, you know, you, you're you're 40, I'm 43, and I pick up some 18-year-old. We have two different relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's just a one-night stand, we have two different relationships. You know, because if he's going for somebody my age, he's clearly not just looking for a good time. He's looking for something more. You know, whereas I'm just, you know, I'm going to fuck you a few times and then I'm going to move on. And that does him an injustice. And you know that. Again, as a 40-plus-year-old man, you know that. Well, and that's you make a valid point because I got to tell people I understood and it took me to get to my mid-20s. So I understood what was it that the attraction for the longest that I had for older men. And it was the fact that like, I had daddy issues and not daddy issues in the you know the context of some of our community but just in the sense of never having a positive male figure in my life and that was a certain thing that I wanted from that like you said it was a different kind of relationship I was looking finally for an older man to nurture me and even love me even if it was even in a sexual way yes it was affirming and something else that I felt like I could get from this person and this other person strictly was thinking about yeah I can use this and I can get a nut this little young guy and it'll be fun and that'll be that and that did cause me a whole lot of heartache and grief and I had to then go do some soul searching of myself but like we talked about earlier not everyone is that self-aware right not everyone is not able to understand how to, to do that work so it was something that I was able to get to but I know people that are still chasing that you know and it's just like okay I mean I talk to guys all the time and I mean especially with a mechanism like Facebook guys will hit you up and it's like okay dude how old are you no I'm 25 okay dude I'm 15 years older than you what is the interest that you have here well no we can do this and we no like what what really is your goal here outside of you know I mean and trying to get people to think but like I said that takes a whole nother level of restraint and just commitment because I understand the harm that that caused me. Now, everybody, like Xavier says, we are the, you know, the, we are the entirety of all of our experiences at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. And understanding that there was some hurt and pain that, I mean, although I might have initiated it, that caused me some pain at the hands of some people that maybe I, I, put, I put my trust in that I shouldn't have. And I, I accept full responsibility for that. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I think we as some of us as older, especially older gay men that now that we have these young guys that are coming up and coming out because I've seen a lot of these guys, they're damaged because they've already lost family. They've lost these connections. We talked about all this stuff that disconnects them, discrimination, all this other things. And then we come to them and we have these people that are basically been hurt, abused and all this other stuff. Do I really want to take advantage of somebody like that over the sake of a nut? No. What does that make me? A predator. Exactly. A selfish predator. Thank you. A selfish asshole predator. <laughs> you just go keep running. <laughs> I was going to bring it up Sunday, last Sunday when it happened. Okay. But I didn't have a lot of information about it. And um, so there's a gentleman by the name of Stephen Maglet. Um, oh, yes, yeah, Stephen. Yeah. Stephen passed away last so, well, actually, I think he passed away Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but the news got out Sunday. And I didn't know, really know Stephen personally. We'd had a couple of conversations via uh, private messenger on Facebook. But Stephen was very big on education of the black LGBT community. And he would put out these daily posts, usually on someone's birthday, of someone important in the, uh, some person of color in the LGBT community. And he interviewed these, I mean, he's a writer, he interviewed these people. And it was, uh, you know, I looked forward to, 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 I would read the ones he put out almost every day. And so when, you know, word started coming out that he had passed away, I was like, Wow, it really kind of hit me. And again, I didn't know him, know him. Um, But it was one of those things that he was just kind of always there. Yeah. And it wasn't until after he passed away and I started seeing people commenting on their pages and um, just putting up tributes to him, how many people that he had touched. And it was a very... It was a very sobering moment. Um, It was very sweet. It was very bittersweet because still there's not a lot of information. Like, I don't know anything about what's going to happen with the service or anything like that. Um, But I felt that his passing needed to be acknowledged. As well as, as well as his, you know, own project of what he had done, and I believe that even if you're not his friend, you can still access his page. You can to see what he had posted. So I think everybody out there, just take a few minutes. Uh, Stephen S T E P H E N Maglet M A G L O T. Um, yeah, you'll you'll see some stuff on there that will probably, you know educate you in a way that you did not think about beforehand. Um, just educate yeah. the people on some educate you on some people in our community that are, you know, out and doing things. Yes. Um I knew Steven, I had met him at a couple of conferences. Um and um a dynamic individual and he um he was very good and very working very towards really documenting our history as gay black LGBT community in a way that it had not ever been done and he interviewed quite a few people that um, are even friends to this group Tim and West being one 
Um, and um, I hear also um, Anthony Antoine, uh, David Milbranch, just quite a few people in our community that were doing things. And his he was about trying to tell stories that often don't get told as far as who were these people that were in our community that were doing these very, very great things. And he considered himself a biographer, um, just a storyteller and telling stories that, um, you know, we don't get shined in a very positive light often. And he did that. And that was his gift. And he was wonderful at it. And he will be truly missed. And I will say, uh, Derek, I know some people that night know some stuff about his service. So I'll find out and I'll send you the information. Thank you. Because he just because he lives in he lives in the New York area, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I miss I miss him too. I miss I, like kind of like Derek said. I talked to him a couple times, um, on Messenger and everything. I'd never met him before, but I just I love what he did and I love the spirit. And uh, I'm gonna hate that you know, today his. I mean, I like that he was doing what he was doing. That took a lot. It gave a lot of information. It was it was short, brief. You know, and I was just like, you know, I want to know more about you. And and I remember him telling me that if I if I understood him right, he was basically wanting to focus on black, um, LGBT, um, people in in the community, and and he didn't really fit the criteria, being that he wasn't, I guess, black. And I was just like, wow. And I was just like, you know, it's not often that you hear somebody like from outside of the, I mean, not necessarily outside of the community, but there wasn't the same race but he wanted to focus on on the things that the black community um gay community had done i just was so impressed with him and his spirit it was it's a loss for everybody and joe, some of joe, his stories that, okay. joe r said the ubuntu biographies were always excellent yes mm-hmm. i yeah, they were and okay, I, was, I was just going to say some of the biographies and things that he wrote, especially about some of the trailblazers in our community, are actually included in the Civil Rights Museum here in Atlanta that they just opened uh, within the last year or so. So he definitely made a big impact and mm-hmm. to the point that they in, made a point in the Civil Rights Museum to include a section specifically dedicated to um, those of us in the um our community but the fact that you know he wrote a lot of those narratives is very powerful and very telling yeah i'm actually going to steal a check it out from mark um because he actually already recommended this but it's this book called um underground airlines and i didn't think i would enjoy it this much but okay so i mean it's it's a counterfactual uh book about the idea of slavery continuing on like the Civil War never happened and I guess there was a constitutional amendment which kept slavery as only the states could abolish it they, they somehow did some weird thing because of this and so most of the states abolished slavery except for like four states which I think was like Louisiana Alabama and two, I guess the Carolinas. And the Carolinas, was, because there's no North and South. There. There's no North and South, yeah, and like maybe one other state, I can't remember. But um, but the, yeah, and it was just interesting how they then incorporated actual events, um, and recognized how they were different because slavery still existed. Uh, it was just, it's just really good. I thought it, it does take a little bit of a leap, um you know, of imagination to believe that you could live in a society now that, you know, slavery would still be happening, but it's not that big a leap. 
<laughs> it's not really that big a leap. That's what's so interesting about it. It's like, of course, there are people who still oppose slavery. You know, they they talked about like industries that, um, you know, they. So if we couldn't outlaw slavery, they made it illegal for you to buy goods that were produced with slave labor. Um, but then, of course, the companies that did that just sold those overseas. You know, they just didn't sell them to people in the U.S. Um, and then those other companies would sell them back to people in the U.S. So it was, you know, people kind of felt like they weren't. Um, and then you had the fact that um, people were still trying to recapture runaway slaves because that's what the the um, the story is about. Is about a guy who's a bounty hunter or you know works for the U.S. Marshals who's hunting down runaway slaves. Uh, yeah, which is yeah, it's kind of crazy in the 21st yeah, I'm, century. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it was really good. Um, uh, we have a question yeah. from Wesley Wright. He asked, "Do we have any thoughts about the trailer of Moonlight by A24?" Yeah, we did talk about. It, I think maybe for one of the entertainment hangouts, but um, yeah, um, Moonlight is. I forget who um, who's the director, writer, director of it, but um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I guess that's the most general way of saying that it's a uh, looks like a uh, a well done dramatic story, you know, coming of age story. Um, yeah, I'm all there for it. I think um, one of the things that we we said about it earlier is that I don't think any one movie can accurately describe. Everybody's coming out process. Exactly right. So I can't. It can't be everything to everybody, but I think as far as what it looks like, it looks pretty good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm going to see it. I'm 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 going to support it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm not real huge on coming out stories. Um, yeah. I I I'm, I'm I know they're necessary. I'm, you know, but I feel that we've done a lot of them. A lot of there's there's a lot of black gay coming out stories out there yeah. already. But I do want to support it, so I will go check it out. Yeah. So I think that would be cool. Um, I forgot there was another one that I was thinking about. I think um I think this weekend Southside with you comes out to. Oh to, yeah, yeah. About Michelle and Barack Obama getting together. Is that this weekend or next weekend? I think it's I think it's coming out next weekend. Next weekend, okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'm gonna be honest with you. I want to see that mostly for the shots of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, my home. That's my hometown. So. Yeah. 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 I said. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it would be cool. Um, you know, something I would uh, go check out. Um, I want everybody to check it out Thursday night on Logo, uh, RuPaul's All Stars. Ah, uh, yes. It's starting up. I'm sure that you will hear more about that from Mark and myself, <laughs> um, and and maybe Jeffrey. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Get him to come on board and join us on the drag train. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what else. Really a check it out. Um, but it was something I posted a few weeks ago um, when I was asking about what is fashion in the bear community or the nerd bear community. Mm-hmm. And it got a little, 
It got a lot of responses, but not in the direction I wanted it to. It, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is typical with you, Xavier. Because, <laughs> um, like, I put for like the picture, I put like Derek J, and I put these other two guys who were obviously more masculine than Derek J. And I'm like, how can y'all not say Derek J is a bear? I mean. He's in the community. He doesn't want to be probably, but he's in there. There's a lot of people that are in the bear community, black bear and just bear in general, that don't necessarily want to be. Tom Colicchio from Top Shelf, you know, who he works in food, so he comes through across gay people all the time. You know, has said on more than one occasion, yeah, apparently I'm a bear in the gay community. I don't necessarily want to be because that means that I've gotten to a size that I'm not necessarily <laughs> happy with. But, I mean, he never, like, turns off because these gay men are looking at me. Um, you know, but he recognizes it is for what it is. Right, and Derek J does wear high heels, and he is extremely, extremely feminine. Yes, he is. But he's still a bear. Yeah. And I was trying to get them to see that. So that's he's good. more of a cub, I think. But still, yeah. I think I came up with Oh, mama bear. Oh, mama bear, maybe. See, you ain't right. I'm just saying. Oh, Wrong for Jesus. Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just like, you know, what is, but in general, though, like, what do we consider as fashion? Because there is fashion, you know. Straight dudes walk around all day in jeans and a jersey or a wife beater or what they call an A shirt. You know we not all gonna go out like that. For what do they call them? A what shirt? A wife beater. Yeah. What's the other name for it? A shirt. A shirt. Oh, okay. You know they call her. Yeah. And why? I've never heard that before. Uh, what did you say? An A shirt. A the alphabet A. Yeah, that's how it's labeled on the packaging. Yeah. You look at it. It'd be like a U-neck, a V-neck, and then an A-neck. Those are called A-neck, yeah. Um, but in the South, we call them white beaters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had to explain to somebody recently the difference between a white beater and a jersey. But that's like fashion and, I mean, that's not fashion, but that's like an outfit for most straight men. So I'm like, you know, what, what does the bear community wear? What do we do? I, it depends, you know, it, it depends. For me personally, and I think everybody who's watched any of these videos can attest. For me, it's jeans and whatever character shirt I put on that night. Yeah, I got about forty comic cartoon character T-shirts that I wear all the time. You know. Yeah. You know, you you hard pressed to find me in you know something else unless it's something I specifically need to go be doing. Yeah, you know, I got to put on some actual other clothes. This is this this is me. <laughs> yeah, now, that was interesting. The reaction you had to that post because I, I did see a little bit of it. I just I gotta go look for it now. <laughs> that. Yeah, and I'm still kind of tripping over the one we had about the uh, the hate and hypocrisy video. Like, I still haven't read it all yet, but um, oh yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess another thing to check it out, this, um, I guess it's Sunday, is it, that um, Fear of the Walking Dead is back? Oh, tonight? yeah. yeah. I think it's back tonight. It is uh, back tonight. Yeah. So, yeah. For all the Strand fans. You I will hate watching. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get stranded tonight? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, no one, no one got that. Um, yeah, we did. I got, I got it. I just don't <laughs> like the show. I mean, it's hard to for me to watch a show where there's only one person on the show that seems to have any fucking common sense. <laughs> or, 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 has, or, or, 
or has actual understanding of the gravity of the situation. I don't care about your teenage drama. The dead are walking and eating people. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah. Well, maybe that'll go. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm still looking forward to it. I guess I'm a fan. Um, so what else? I can't think of anything else. That's, uh, I think that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll be back for uh, Tuesday for Slayer Revisited. Season 7. Season 7. All right. And um, I'm working on getting the, the podcast up. I'm actually uh, got to talk to EJ. I think he was out of town this weekend. but Yeah, he's in Charlotte. Yeah. It was their pride this weekend. Why are you telling his business away? <laughs> because he posted it all over his, his, his I, Facebook page. <laughs> I knew where he was. I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> Big brother. But yeah, Geo Track. But I got all of um, I did get all of the uh, American Horror Story podcast together, and hopefully we'll have that up on um, you know, all the you know the places you can find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, it's it's available on YouTube right now. But um, yeah, it was pretty good. I was going through it tagging it with all the information and uh, listening to it, and I was like, oh, this is not bad. Because <laughs> Mark is really passionate about American Horror Story, and it shows. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's just like, he was almost like, because a lot of these we recorded right after the show went off the air. We actually watched it live. And, uh, you know, after certain episodes, he could talk. He's like, I'm so emotional right now. This <laughs> 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 gave me everything. <laughs> so it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, That's Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, uh, we'll be posting those soon. Um, I think my first episode of Jimmy and the Brain is coming out this Thursday. Yay! So I'm trying to um, quickly build up a web page for it, and you know, it, either way, it'll be online this Thursday. We'll get it going because um, we've already recorded. The second and third episodes, um, and I need to put those together. But yeah, so that's coming. And obviously, we'll also have. Uh, I think Mark will be back for the entertainment hangout this uh, Friday at 9 p.m. He better be. <laughs> and <laughs> well, we'll be. I'm taking over. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back uh, this upcoming Sunday for another edition of the Sunday Hangout. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Yes, thank appreciate you. it. <laughs> We'll see you next week. All right. Peace. Thank you for listening to the M3 Bear Essentials podcast. If you'd like to learn more about M3, please visit us at mailmediamind.com. From there, you can find links to our social media accounts, such as YouTube, where you can subscribe and get notifications when we record our podcast live. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.